Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of osteomyelitis found under the orthopedic section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 52-year-old man presents to the emergency department for fever, chills, and pain in the left foot. His symptoms progressively worsened over the course of a week. Medical history is significant for poorly controlled type 2 diabetes mellitus. On physical exam, there is tenderness to palpation of the left foot. Laboratory testing is significant for an elevated erythrocyte sedimentation rate and C-reactive protein, as well as a leukocytosis. A plain radiograph demonstrates periosteal thickening and soft tissue swelling. Let's continue with an introduction to osteomyelitis. Clinically, it is defined as inflammation of the bone and bone marrow, most commonly due secondarily to infection that can be categorized as either acute osteomyelitis, which is more common in children and typically has symptom onset within two weeks after infection, or chronic osteomyelitis, which is more common in adults and typically has symptoms persist months or years after infection. Risk factors for osteomyelitis include diabetes, peripheral vascular disease, open fractures, intravenous drug use, catheter use, and surgery. And in terms of the etiology, remember that infection can be due to bacteria, fungi, and mycobacteria. In terms of the microbiology, remember that Staphylococcus aureus is the most common cause overall, including pediatric patients. This may be seen in sickle cell disease, prosthetic joint replacement, vertebral involvement, which may present with focal back pain and tenderness, and intravenous drug use. Salmonella is a specific cause in sickle cell disease. Neisseria gonorrhea is rare. Staphylococcus epidermidis can also be seen in prosthetic joint involvement. Mycobacterium tuberculosis can also be seen in cases of vertebral involvement, such as in the case of pot disease. Pasteurella multocida can be seen in cases caused by cats and dog bites. And Pseudomonas in Canada can also be seen in cases caused by intravenous drug use. In terms of the pathogenesis, Remember that there may be hematogenous seeding of the bone. There may be continuous spread of infection from adjacent structures, such as the soft tissues and joints. Or there may be direct inoculation, such as in the case of penetrating trauma or contaminated surgical tools. Moving on to the presentation. Symptoms of acute osteomyelitis include lethargy, acute pain in the affected site, and erythema. Symptoms in the case of chronic osteomyelitis include chronic pain. And on physical exam, one may note swelling, erythema, tenderness, reduced range of motion, bone tenderness, ulcers, exposed bone may be seen, a sinus tract, which is pathognomonic for chronic osteomyelitis, and remember that one should always perform a neurovascular exam. In terms of imaging, Radiography is indicated as the preferred initial test in evaluating for osteomyelitis. However, note that it may take 10 to 14 days post-infection for findings to appear. Specific findings may include periosteal thickening and the elevation or Codman's triangle of the periosteum. Magnetic resonance imaging is indicated when radiography is unrevealing. Specific findings may include bone necrosis, an abscess, and sinus tracts. In terms of other studies, labs may demonstrate an increased C-reactive protein, elevated erythrocyte sedimentation rate, 
leukocytosis, which is typically present in acute osteomyelitis and is unlikely to be found in chronic osteomyelitis. And biopsy and culture can help to confirm the diagnosis. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about septic arthritis, gout, cellulitis, and osteosarcoma. With regards to treatment, medical options include empiric antibiotics, which are considered the mainstay of treatment. These should eventually be tailored to the organism after the culture sensitivities return. And operative treatment options include debridement, which is used to remove necrotic tissue. Complications related to osteomyelitis include bone necrosis, sepsis, and squamous cell carcinoma, which is the most common tumor associated with osteomyelitis. And lastly, with regards to the prognosis, remember that mortality has significantly decreased since the use of antibiotics. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to osteomyelitis, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A seven-year-old boy is brought to the emergency department by his parents. They state that he has had trouble walking the past day, and this morning he refused to walk at all. The child has a past medical history of asthma, which is treated with albuterol. His temperature is 102 degrees Fahrenheit, or 38.9 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 77 over 48. Pulse is 150 beats per minute. Respirations are 17 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Laboratory tests are drawn and demonstrate a hemoglobin of 10 grams per deciliter, a hematocrit of 36%, a leukocyte count of 13,500 per millimeter cubed with a normal differential, and a platelet count of 197,000 per millimeter cubed. An MRI of the thigh and knee is performed and demonstrates edema and cortical destruction of the distal femur. Which of the following is the most likely infectious agent in this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Bacteroides species Choice 2. Pseudomonas aeruginosa Choice 3. Salmonella species Choice 4. Staphylococcus aureus or Choice 5. Staphylococcus epidermidis The best answer to this question is Choice 4. Staphylococcus aureus this patient is presenting with bone pain inhibiting his gait and an MRI demonstrating edema and destruction of the bone, suggesting a diagnosis of osteomyelitis. The most common cause of osteomyelitis in pediatric patients is Staphylococcus aureus. Osteomyelitis typically presents with fever, bone pain, an antalgic gait, or a patient refusing to walk. The best initial test is typically a radiograph. Laboratory work will demonstrate an elevated erythrocyte sedimentation rate and C-reactive protein. A more specific and sensitive diagnostic test is an MRI, which demonstrates edema and cortical destruction of the bone. The most accurate test is a bone biopsy. Treatment includes broad-spectrum antibiotics, which can then be tapered pending culture results. The most common cause of osteomyelitis in pediatric patients is staph aureus. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice one, bacteroides species can cause abdominal infections which may present with abdominal pain or peritoneal signs. Choice two, Pseudomonas aeruginosa can cause infection and osteomyelitis 
in particular in puncture wounds. However, it is a less common cause than Staph aureus in pediatric patients. Choice 3. Salmonella is a common cause of osteomyelitis in sickle cell disease patients. However, it is a rare cause in an otherwise healthy child. Choice 5. Staphylococcus epidermidis is a normal skin flora and is a common cause of infection in peritoneal dialysis. However, it is a much rarer cause of osteomyelitis. Finally, a bullet summary. The most common cause of osteomyelitis in pediatric patients is Staphylococcus aureus. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 33-year-old man with a history of IV drug and alcohol abuse presents to the emergency department with back pain. He states that his symptoms started three days ago and have been gradually worsening. His temperature is 102 degrees Fahrenheit, or 38.9 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 127 over 68. Pulse is 120 beats per minute. Respirations are 17 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is notable for tenderness over the mid-thoracic spine. Laboratory values are only notable for a leukocytosis and an elevated ESR and CRP. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Degenerative spine disease Choice 2. Herniated nucleus pulposus Choice 3. Musculoskeletal strain Choice 4. Osteomyelitis or choice 5, spinal epidural hematoma. The best answer to this question is, choice 4, osteomyelitis. This patient is presenting with a fever, focal back pain, spine tenderness, and an elevated ESR and CRP, suggestive of a diagnosis of vertebral osteomyelitis. Vertebral osteomyelitis is an infection of the bones in the spine. Patients will present with fever, focal back pain with focal tenderness in the affected area, and risk factors such as an immunosuppression, previous trauma to the area, or IV drug use. The ESR and CRP levels can be elevated in these patients, and the diagnosis can be supported with a radiograph, which is a non-sensitive but specific test, and it can be confirmed with an MRI followed by a biopsy. A spinal epidural abscess can present similarly. Thus, an MRI can further differentiate between these two diagnoses. The treatment involves appropriate antibiotic therapy. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Degenerative spine disease can present with chronic lower back pain that is worse with motion or flexion and possible symptoms of nerve impingement. However, it would not present with a fever and an elevated ESR or CRP. Choice 2. Herniated nucleus pulposus would present with back pain and radicular symptoms that typically occur after heavy lifting or straining. Choice 3. Musculoskeletal strain would present with back pain and focal tenderness to palpation with symptoms worsened by stretching or using the muscle. There would be no radicular symptoms in this condition. Choice 5. Spinal epidural hematoma would occur after trauma or a spinal procedure and would present with focal back pain and weakness or alterations in sensation below the level of the epidural hematoma. Treatment may involve surgical evacuation or a laminectomy. Finally, a bullet summary. Vertebral osteomyelitis presents with a fever, focal back pain, 
and spine tenderness in the setting of an elevated ESR and CRP. That's all for this review about osteomyelitis. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.